Mornings, 2 till 6 on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Here in the Auction Community Studios, Mitch Veraldis, Cody Fincher, bopping, as it looks like Cody is. Filling in for Burns and Gambo today. There are cameras in here. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. We're, we're being watched at all times. <laughs> Filling in on this President's Day for Burns and Gambo. They'll be back tomorrow. Start of Newsmakers Week on Bickley and Murata mornings tomorrow Newsmakers. as well. Very excited. They get all the big names across the valley, all the important players. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That is both, having worked multiple Newsmakers Weeks, that is both the best time and the most chaotic time. Yes. A week of radio that you can ask for. However, it's great. However, the leftover bagels and coffee and pastries. Oh, that's the best day. part. Yeah. <laughs> Your head's in the right spot. I knew what I wanted yeah. before I came in. <laughs> so it also appears that Jonathan Gannon knew exactly what he wanted when he got the Cardinals job because there was the early reports shortly after his press conference on Thursday. The first one, I think, was from Ian Rappaport that they were going to interview QB coach of the Cleveland Browns, Drew Petzing. And that is now a reported fact. It's not been made official, at least to my knowledge. I haven't seen anything anywhere on the Cardinals website, but I'd be shocked if it would be anything different. There's very trusted individuals on the inside with that. But who is Drew Petzing? Who are you, Cody, who are you is basically what we're trying to figure out. We'll talk about the defensive coordinator, Nick Rollis, next. But for right now, we're going to focus solely on Drew Petzing because he's got a mighty task ahead of him, Cody, and that's basically fixing Kyler Murray. Yeah. How would you go about doing that? What's the one thing that I think they need to get back to in this Cardinals offense is they need to throw the ball deep more. Because there were, ve- there were very few over 20 yard passes. I, I was watching like ESPN and they were on NFL Live talking a, a little bit ago talking about Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. And I think the stat was 6.5 yards per pass attempt from oh. Kyler, and that was the worst of his career. That's so low. And it's so strange because they have the guys on this roster to be able to throw deep. Hollywood Brown, first and foremost. That's like all he did with the Ravens was just run straight and catch deep balls from Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And then Rondell Moore as well, but then they they went back to the, you know, the 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 cliff staple of the screen pass behind the line of scrimmage with especially Rondell Moore. And I hope that a guy like Drew Petzing will come in here and you know, with Jonathan Gannon obviously create a system where they can throw the ball deep because we saw Jalen Hurts throw the ball deep, especially in that Super Bowl. He was throwing the ball deep a lot. I mean, there was a 50-yard-plus touchdown pass to A.J. Brown in that game. And that pass to um, Devontae Smith toward the end zone where he stepped out of the two, mm-hmm. that was a big play as well. It was over 40 yards. And we know Kyler's got the arm strength. He does, and he's got the accuracy. What they need to do is they need to design plays where you know he can get kind of out of the pocket where he's not under duress yes. and make those throws. And I think that's what the Eagles do really well. And I know part of it is, you know, uh, Jonathan Gann, I think it was this was in the Peter King article, said they're going to get Kyler Murray under center more. Uh-huh. What that does is, where's Wolf? I'm ready for Wolf to just Nick, break down the door. He's burst through the door in the studio. Under center? Yeah! <laughs> um, so... What that does, it allows you to use play action a lot more. And a lot of play action is deep passes. So 
I think that's going to be very beneficial. I think that should be priority number one. Well, priority one A. Priority one is get Kyler back healthy yeah. as soon as you can. I I think I don't know how you feel on this. I'm not in a rush to get Kyler Murray back. I would I like him Kyler to be 100. percent Yes, that, exactly. So <laughs> I, I'm not in a rush to get Kyler Murray back. I get it. He's on a clock basically with this new contract. Sure, but I think additionally, this year is not going to be heavily criticized in terms of Jonathan Gannon's performance as the head coach. No, I think hypothetically, if they had gotten a guy like Sean Payton, it would be or, like, all right, well, you're Sean Payton, so figure something out right. for eight games, and, and then you'll get Kyler back for the final line. Up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but this is kind of like, how much leeway does Jonathan Gannon get without Kyler? Mm-hmm. That's a question we won't really know the answer to, but I feel it's worth asking. There's also the the idea, speaking of Kyler not being back, who's going to be the quarterback while he's gone? And I love the idea. Do you want to start with the link? Yes. Okay. I would love the idea of Jacoby Brissett, who was in Cleveland. Who was the quarterback for who was, a good, what, what was, was it, it, 10 weeks? 11, yeah, 11 games. Yeah, 11 games because that was what Deshaun Something Watson like got yeah, yeah, yeah. Suspend, suspended for. And... Honestly, Jacoby Brissett has filled in for so many weird reasons on every other team he's been on. Like, you know, Andrew Luck retires in Indianapolis. He's been the weird bridge guy, yeah. right? Like uh, he was behind Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. in New England. Tom who was Brady, Tom Brady, Deflate Gate suspension. Garoppolo gets hurt. <laughs> Jacoby Brissett comes in and plays well for New England. Andrew Luck retires all of a sudden in Indy. Jacoby Brissett comes in and plays well. Deshaun Watson gets suspended for eleven games for reasons we won't go into, and Jacoby Brissett comes in and plays well. This is what he does. This would be the most there was low the middle key. season in Miami, but yes, it, it, well, whatever. Well, whatever. This is. The low, like the lowest, like weirdness level that he could come in. It's just an injury. There's yes. no weird suspension. There's, <laughs> it's just an injury. And this, he's done really well. Jacoby Brissett last year. I mean, uh, two thousand six hundred eight passing yards, twelve touchdowns, six interceptions. I mean, they went, ran ran for two scores as well. They went what four and seven? Yeah, the results weren't that great, but but I mean, they got more wins out of him than they did out of Deshaun Watson. Yeah. So Petzing, as to your point, has worked directly with Jacoby Brissett specifically last year and with Watson. And there was a story by our Tom Keeble at Arizona Sports who basically did a dive onto who is Drew Petzing and pointed out that Petzing worked with. To mobile quarterbacks, or ma- or maximize the the ability that Brissett and Watson have as mobile quarterbacks, he points out that Watson finished 11th in rushing yards per game among all quarterbacks, and Brissett finished 28th. Don't worry about how far down 28th is. Brissett's just a bigger <laughs> guy. The duo also combined for three rushing touchdowns, the same amount that Murray scored last season. Murray had a slight disadvantage, of course, in that scenario. But the other aspect that's getting overlooked here is Cleveland's offense was relatively good. Yeah, last year, mm-hmm. and bringing in a guy like Petzing allows you to get v- some different variety going on with whoever the quarterback is going to be. And Petzing already has the experience of working with multiple quarterbacks in one season; shouldn't be too much of an adjustment for him. And, and what I've seen, kind of on the flip side, the negative side of Drew Petzing was is mostly people saying, "Well, Deshaun Watson didn't play that well when he came back." Deshaun Watson didn't play football for over a year. Yeah. So it's hard to kind of just come back and be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, he looked like 
especially in those first couple games, Deshaun Watson looked like a quarterback who hadn't played football in a while. And that's not on Drew Petzing. That's mm-hmm. on Deshaun Watson for being suspended. Um, but, yeah, and, and again, this is a guy that Jonathan Gannon knows. He's worked with before. He trusts him. And we'll see what happens. I mean, it's all about Kyler Murray. And if he can get Kyler back to the dynamic playmaker that he that he is think about 2021 when the when the cardinals were clicking on all cylinders mm-hmm. what was kyler doing in a lot of those games he was running he was running around and he was making you know all these plays with his legs and his arm but a lot with his legs the whole baby yoda celebration <laughs> that came about because he was running the ball in himself a lot and he needed a little celebration if they can get kyler murray First of all, confident in his knee. That's really a big key because there are some guys that come back from ACL tears that just aren't confident that their knee's going to hold up. We've we've heard about that a lot with you know Cam Johnson, uh-huh. who's had a, had a couple knee injuries, where he comes back. I just have to trust my legs. I gotta I have to trust that they're going to stay intact when I when I after I jump and land. So that is step one for Kyler. But if they can get back to getting Kyler more mobile running out of the pocket, I think they're going to find a lot of success because, and they know what it's like in Philly coming from Philly. Jalen hurts, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He can throw the ball, but he is dynamic. He is dynamic on the ground. Maybe they'll have a quarterback sneak in the playbook this year. Who knows? Maybe, maybe unless it gets nixed by the competition committee. That report was out there. What? Some other positives Are that I serious? saw. Yeah, I'm dead serious. <laughs> we can talk about that later. Oh, what's I football saw, doing? I saw a Revenge of the Birds article from a couple of days ago talking about both Petsing and Rollis. And there's the positives section of this article and a questions section. Two things I wanted to point out. Positives. Petsing used to be their tight end coach. In Cleveland, so he worked with Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Harrison Bryant, but with the need to improve their quarterback situation with Baker Mayfield and then eventually with Jacoby Brissett and then Deshaun Watson, Kevin Stefanski, the head coach of the Browns, moved Petsing to QB coach. And then there's the note that you and I have talked about already. Jacoby Brissett is an unrestricted free agent. Mm -hmm. Other QBs that Petsing has worked with. Joshua Dobbs, free agent. Case Keenum. I don't know if he's still with the Bills, but he may or may not be a free agent. Teddy Bridgewater is a free agent. Sean Mannion. <clears throat> Baker Mayfield. <laughs> oh, boy. And Nick Mullins. Bakes. Now, you don't have to bring somebody in, but if there are options out there that would help bridge that gap and you're not a fan of Colt McCoy, those are some options for you. Now, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up. This fascinated me. In their question section, they asked, will there be fewer penalties and more discipline on offense this year? If you would like to guess, just on the standings, where did the Cardinals rank in offensive pre-snap penalties this past season? Well, out of 32 teams, where having did they rank? watched every game, I'm going to say they ranked last. Last as in they were the worst. Okay. With pe- pre-snap penalties. Pretty close. From what I was able to gather, the Cardinals had 31 pre-snap offensive penalties out of 118 total penalties, by the way. That 31 is the second most, including the playoffs this year. Cleveland, 17 offensive pre-snap penalties out of 102. That is the fifth fewest, including playoffs this year. There you go. Discipline, right? Yeah. It comes down to just being disciplined. And maybe Drew Petsing can bring some of that Kevin Stefanski philosophy here and, you know... 
th- that was just such a detriment to the Cardinals offense last year. Just pr- the, the the play clock winding down, having to burn timeouts, taking delay of game penalties, just constant not stress, snapping the ball when yeah. the ball was supposed to be snapped, not having a guy who could snap the ball. Exactly. A lot of things. Exactly. Have you subscribed to the Burns and Gambo Show podcast? Subscribe right now. Your iPhone, your Android, really anywhere you can find it. You'll never miss any of the show. It's the Burns and Gambo Show, brought to you by Carol Royce, your home sold, guaranteed realty. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Well, we just talked about the new OC for the Cardinals, Drew Petzing. But what about the new DC, Nick Rallis? We'll get into more of that next. Mitch Ferreldis, Cody Fincher filling in here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Mitch Vareldis and Cody Fincher filling in for Burns and Gambo today. We're with you till 6 p.m. though, so if you're around or going to be around later, we'll be here for the full slate, full four hours, filling in for Burns and Gambo. They'll be back tomorrow along with the rest of the shows. They just had President's Day off today, and they asked us to fill in, and we said, of course, absolutely. We would love to talk about new defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals, Nick Rallis, which is what we're going to do here right now. Now, the immediate draw, I think for a lot of people, whether you look at it negatively or positively, is his age. He's, and I hate to put you on the spot here, Cody, but he's not much older than you and I. If nothing else, he's probably the same age. How old is he? He's 29 years old. He's younger than me. I'm 30. And he's older than me. So he's smack in between us. And he's going to be in charge of the defense for the Arizona Cardinals coming up this season. Well, good for him. And here we are, <laughs> filling in All we are on is- a President's Day. For <laughs> what are you doing with your life? Um, I don't know. This is pretty nice. I'm not going to yeah, lie. No, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with this. Uh, yeah, man. I, just, I don't, again... Going back to to Petsing and all the conversation we had before, I don't really care about the age. Mm-hmm. Just if you're a quality football coach, that's all I want. And it seems to be the opinion of people around the league that Nick Rollis and Drew Petsing are quality football coaches. They uh, Rappaport sent in his tweet about the hiring that he's a what was it a fast rising assistant, yes. something like that. So Very fast rising, and I've seen rumors that he the Eagles were hoping to keep him and make the, him their defensive coordinator. And now he's here with Jonathan Gannon, with Jonathan Gannon in Arizona. Um, and let's not make any mistakes. This is going to be Jonathan Gannon's defense. I don't know yeah. who's going to be calling the plays. Not sure. For, well, de- for defense, still- I feel like that doesn't matter as much, like the, calling the offensive not. plays. But it, it, it matters. I wonder who's going to get the green dot on the helmet. Oh, God. Uh, we already have <laughs> We're talking about the green dot again. Sorry. 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 <laughs> I'm what more, month is it? February? Well, green dot. I am more focused on individuals who, if you're going to, if I'm going to indulge you, who could be wearing that green dot. Yes. I'm more focused on Saban Collins and Isaiah Simmons. And specifically, what can Nick Rollis do, or hell, what can even Jonathan Gannon do, to unlock them and not give us seller's remorse, I guess would be the term, 
of Hassan Reddick from a few years ago. Yeah. And deciding whether or not they're going to give Isaiah Simmons the fifth year option, that's something that needs to be done before the start of this season. Deciding whether or not you're going to have Isaiah Simmons in one set role or if you're going to vary him in different spots, that needs to be figured out during this uh, offseason. Mm-hmm. Zayvon Collins, is he going to remain the middle linebacker? He was pretty solid at it last year. Yeah, he had a he pretty good year. He figured it out as it went on. Now, a lot of credit was given to what Rallis was able to do, specifically with the linebacking core. He was the linebacker's coach in Philly. Revenge of the Birds, they did a piece that focused on both Rallis and Petzing, and there was a lot of love given to Rallis and a lot of highlighting on the work he did with the linebackers. And we'll start with the one that everybody knows, Hassan Reddick, who this year went to the Pro Bowl, had a overall pro football focus score of 846 Now, I don't know where the top of the scale is, but that seems pretty darn good. (laughs) 87 QB pressures, 19 and a half sacks, 46 tackles, six forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, three pass breakups. And here's the key. And this matches all three of their main linebackers from this season. Zero touchdowns in coverage. So you're telling me they cover tight ends really well. I'm telling you that they do a damn good job <laughs> not giving up touchdowns in yes. coverage. And what people said about you know Jonathan Gannon's defense was they really prevent the big plays, right? They prevent big plays. They they'll let you know they'll let teams score a little bit. Sure. But I mean that's going to happen in today's NFL. But they don't Team give up the big plays. Scoring in today's what? NFL. What? What? <laughs> what? It's not six to three. Weird. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested, like you're saying, what are they going to do with Isaiah Simmons? Yep. Because, like you said, and I agree completely, you don't want Hassan Reddick 2.0, where you don't know what to do with him until he's gone. Because that's what happened with Hassan Reddick. They drafted him. He was an edge rusher at Temple. They try to make him a middle linebacker. He doesn't really take to it. He doesn't play hardly at all. Then I believe it was Chandler Jones. They they declined his fifth-year option, first and foremost. Chandler Jones got hurt. Hassan yes. Reddick had to be moved down to the edge. He had the five-set game against yep. the Giants. He had like he 10 with, sacks or yeah, something like that. he ended like with double-digit sacks. In half like, a season. And then he goes to Carolina and then works his works his magic there. And then gets double-digit gets a, sacks, and now he gets he's a in big Philly. deal with Philly, his hometown. So you don't want that to happen to Isaiah Simmons. Now, am I saying that they should make Isaiah Simmons an edge rusher? Maybe. I'll say that. They they could. I'll argue for it. Who do you have on the edge right now? Uh Marcus Golden. Okay. Who didn't really do much last year. No. He fought he and held then, in for a contract extension and then did nothing. And then you have a lot of young guys, Cam Cameron Thomas, um, my J Sanders, who I think can be serviceable NFL players. What do you are you gonna bring back Zach Allen? You should. I would hope so. <laughs> you should. You're already down so, JJ Watt. Yeah, and and I, I just don't know I think the appeal that might, you know, prevent saying, okay, Isaiah Simmons, you are our edge you are a edge rusher this year is the fact that he can't he has the ability to play multiple positions. Now like, Can he? Uh, unlike Hassan Reddick, who was not good as just a middle linebacker, no. Isaiah Simmons is serviceable as a middle linebacker. I would like to see him not play safety very much I don't anymore, like him or, in coverage. or slot corner. Not I just don't think that's coverage. where his 
skill set. I think he's okay with covering a tight end. I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. But that's the most he should be doing in I coverage. Just, I just think he I would love be, to see him them say, "Hey, Isaiah, go get the quarterback. He can see be what most you do." Destructive behind the line of scrimmage or yeah. at the line of scrimmage. He's very athletic. He could be elusive. He's, he's big too. He's, he's like big what, six eight. He's very tall. He's a very big guy. He creates a mismatch even with some of the best right tackles or even left tackles in the league. And with him being so athletic, you can drop him back into coverage where we used to like joke about Chandler Jones being dropped back into coverage. You shouldn't be doing that. No. But with Isaiah Simmons, you could if you really wanted to and wanted to mix things up a little bit because he does have coverage skills. So he could be literally a Swiss Army knife on the edge. You kind of yeah. don't know what he's going to do. I would like to see what Nick Rollis and Jonathan Gannon obviously have in, have in store for Isaiah Simmons because they went, you know, they got Hassan Reddick in Philly and they unlocked some big, you know, they, they unlocked something within him. That they figured said, out what he was good at, which apparently almost 20 sacks last year. And it wasn't just Hassan Reddick that was great, too. TJ no. Edwards, their middle linebacker, yeah. had a PFF score of 81-6, had 159 combined tackles, seven pass breakups, two interceptions. Kaiser White, their other outside backer, 110 combined tackles, one and a half sacks, three for loss, seven pass breakups. Again, the key here is they're not only good in the trench, they're good in coverage. Yes. And that's what Nick Rollis is going to help bring along with Jonathan Gannon to this defense. And they need the guys, too. I mean, they need to, the Cardinals need to shore up their cornerback room. I mean, it can't just be Marco Wilson and other guys, or even if you bring back Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy has hurt a lot this year, so you can't really trust he's going to play a full season. So there's there's a lot of positions that they need. They need defensive line help because J.J. Watt is retired. Mm-hmm. They need corner help. They could probably use another linebacker outside of Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins. Look, they're in a pretty decent position. They have some money to spend in free agency. They have the number three overall pick. There are two generational defensive talents available to them. There's a chance that this defense takes a massive step forward this next year. Tell us your thoughts about this Cardinals defense. Are you excited about the hire of Nick Rollis? Text us your thoughts. The FanDuel text line, 620 620 right now. Diamondbacks baseball, fresh underway. Full squad is here. And also a little ASU hoops talk coming up next with Jake Anderson of Arizona Sports. He's next here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Vareldis and Cody Fincher filling in for Burns and Gambo today on this President's Day. Thank you for tuning in. For just a moment. Jake Anderson, he was out at uh, Diamondbacks practice today. Very well dressed, well, Jake Anderson. Jake Anderson is always very well dressed as he... It was hot, though. I was like, you're, you're, well, oh, you must be uncomfortable. Well, I, how about this? We'll just start there. We'll bring on Jake Anderson from <laughs> Arizona Sports. He's one of our lead writers, and he is one of three voices on the State of the Sun Devils podcast. So, Jake, how did you survive the weather out there with all that you were wearing today? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Um, I mean, I, I thought it was, I mean, yeah, it was a little warm when the sun was on you, but it's, it's like living in AZ, man. Just find some shade, and then it gets kind of chilly, and then you're like, oh, I'm good. I like that. I like that. So I just want to start generally. You don't have to give me every single answer, but I want to start with the focus on the team, and then we can touch on what Ken Kendrick and Derek Hall had to say. But what is just one thing that stood out to you watching the players getting warmed up today? 
So I I loved the whole. It, there was a real like first full day of school vibe. I know the pitchers and catchers had reported last week, but the rest of the squad came in today, um, and there was just a ton of energy. Right, it's like everyone's getting to finally see each other if you haven't already, and you finally get to do what you love to do. But I think the biggest thing that I heard from Tori today, um, in in addition to all the rule changes that they're going to have to get used to, he said that the pitchers came out. And it like they're not getting their arms in shape. Like their arms look like they are ready to go. You got guys who are already thrown in the mid to high nineties, and that's usually not something you hear in spring training. That's usually something we hear them ramp up slowly and, and over time. But it kind of sounds like there's a lot of competition going on in the bullpen, especially. And then for whoever's going to be that last starter. Um, but yeah, these these guys are ready to come in and compete. Jake, you mentioned Tori talked about the new rules. What specifically, which rule did he think was going to be the most challenging? Was Is it the pitch clock? Is it the, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to make a big fuss about the big bases, but what, what was Tori really talking about with the rule changes? So what I thought was kind of funny is the fact that usually you have all these you know, non-roster invitees that you bring in and it's kind of like they're trying to learn from the big leaguers. But because they are actually, the minor leaguers are the ones that have actually played under all this stuff, it's those guys who are actually teaching the big leaguers kind of the nuances and the tips and tricks that they have learned over the years. Gil Velasquez, (laughs) the uh, Reno AAA manager, was giving Tori some tips. Um, But to answer your question, Tori, he did say he's a little uptight about the new norms of it just because you have veteran pitchers who have never had to worry about how quickly they work before and and now you're going to have to be on the mound faster and deliver pitchers faster. I mean, you can only step off or pick off twice before you're balking, and and that's going to be a whole new thing and that they're going to have to just get used to. So Tori expects there to be some chaos the first couple of weeks, and he, he said even the umpires are, are going to have to get used to being the ones who are calling it, right? Like yeah. as soon as it, it's over, boom, it's a ball, boom, it's a strike, boom, it's a new base. Um so it, it, it's going to be kind of quirky, I think, in the first uh, couple of weeks of it. But I think it'll, just like anything else, we'll we'll get used to it. I will say that the bases are noticeably larger. Yeah. That, that is very, very evident. How about this, Jake? What do you think is going to take the longest for you to get used to of these new rules, of these new changes, you personally? Um, I mean, realistically, I don't think the shift thing is going to be that bad. I'm personally a fan of the shift getting exiled. I like how the rules are going to be now. It'll probably just be the speed of play. I mean, it, it's it's going to be no longer long, drawn out at bats unless it's a ton of foul balls. You're not going to have guys who are stalling for people warming up. Um, so it, it might, in terms of getting used to it, just might be like, well, you, you have to pay attention more. Not that I'm, you know, we're not paying attention, but the, the cool part about baseball was like a pitch happens and it's like, okay, you can you can look at something or you can have a thought or you can tell a story or whatever it is. Um, but, but now it's going to be more like, you know, we're, we're watching basketball or football or something where the action is constantly going. Jake, you were talking about the fifth spot in the rotation. My pick for me personally, that is going to get that spot is Dre Jamison because I think, you know, the rest of the rotation, Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, Mad Bum, and Zach Davies are pretty much locks if they're all healthy at the end of spring training. My pick for the fifth spot is Dre Jameson, who, I, I mean, I know it's the first day of full squad, so I'm sure Tori didn't really have any, you know, insights on that just yet, but who do you think is the early favorite to win that fifth spot in the rotation? 
I mean, I, I, I don't want to say you stole my answer, but <laughs> we're, we're kind of thinking the same way. I mean, he, he looked so good at the end of last season. Um, Torrey did not speak about the rotation. I mean, he really didn't get that too into into the players yet. I mean, it's the first full day, and we'll have a whole spring to debate on who's going to win that fifth spot. But, I mean, if if I had to pick one guy based off of all the youngsters that they had started the end of the year, it's 100% Dre James. I mean, he we saw what he did. We saw his stuff. Like I mean, he's just he's fun to watch. He, he's fun to be around. I mean, we saw him with Carson Kelly today working on PFPs and all the new stuff during live BP. So it, he's wearing number 99. So we were joking about yeah. high numbers. Yeah. High numbers usually don't make the team. Um, but I, I'm hoping I'm hoping this number 99 well, does. He changed his number to 99 because he's a big fan of Major League. Wild thing, Vaughn. baby. I love that. I love I love Major League. So Dre Jameson is just he he's appealing so much to me. I just I want him even more now to win that spot. <laughs> We're talking with Jake Anderson, one of our lead writers on Arizona Sports. He's also one of three of the State of the Sun Devils podcast you can also find on Arizona Sports. Jake, I'm kind of kind of throw kind of a wild question at you, I guess, or a re- maybe a question you didn't expect. I'm eyeing two veterans that need to have breakout campaigns or just campaigns that we're convinced that this is who we're used to seeing Nick Ahmed and Madison Bumgarner who's more important to have a successful season this year do you think if I mean to me it's mad bum and that's because we saw what this team can do without Nick Ahmed and nothing against Nick Ahmed but I think they have an infield and they have an offense that I know his, his defense is probably his best asset, but I think last year we saw this team can handle a season without Nick Ahmed, whereas we saw, I mean, I mean Mad Bum wasn't great last year, but the, the fact that he's still going to give you, what, you're going to expect 25, 30 starts out of him if he's healthy. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> you're expecting 200 innings out. I mean, that's a lot of work you're expecting from that guy to pick up a ball every five days. So if he's, I mean, if, if, if let's say he's, he's more what we saw at the end of last year than, and then at the beginning, I don't know if that's going to be advantageous for what this team wants to do because it sounds like from Tory, from Ken, from Derek, like it sounds like these guys kind of expect to be in the race come deadline time and they might actually be buyers and try to try to make a playoff push. Yeah, so you mentioned Ken Kendrick and Derek Hall spoke to the media today. What did what did exactly was the tone of that of that press conference about? They talked about obviously the um, the situation with Chase Field, possibly relocating, possibly not relocating. But what's uh, what I'm interested in is what they said about being buyers if they're competitive. What was the vibe of that little press conference? What did they really think in their minds is competitive when it comes to playoff time that will determine whether they're buyers or sellers? So, as Ken kept alluding to, that they've they've bumped up this season their payroll 30% from what it was last year. Um, I don't know the exact payroll numbers that, uh, for this season. You guys might, but I know it was only about $80, $45 million last year. When you look at, like the Dodgers and the Padres and all these teams that are spending, you know, a combined over half a billion on their rosters. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, you, you look at the two numbers and they're pretty staggering. And and as it's always been, like Ken Kendricks is is, is running a business first. And he even said, like, if, if other owners want to take money out of their pockets and go in the negative to try to win, 
that's fine. That's their prerogative, but that's not how he's going to run his business. Um, but to answer your question, it really sounded like they're the most optimistic and the most like, okay, we're ready to do this kind of thing in terms of is it going to be a, a new location? And, and, and Derek Hall said that the new location will be within Maricopa County. So D-backs fans, don't get, don't worry. They're, they're not leaving. Oh, um, thank goodness. But they're not going to Vegas, <laughs> but um, they're, they're open to leaving chase field. If, if that is a better opportunity for them. And they said, whether it's a new location or whether it is renovating chase field, they're willing to put in, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars, which is, you know, a large number, especially yeah. when you're not spending that much on the team. But that all trickled into Ken Kendrick saying, if it's all about revenues, so we get more revenue from our stadium if our team is better, which we then in turn can put back into the team and on the field. So it, it, it kind of sounds like a fake, and, and Ken said he would like to see this done in his lifetime. So there is somewhat of a, of a you know a factor of time here being uh, on the quicker side. So let's just say, and and this is just you know uh, in theory, but basically, it, it, from what it, I I heard today, it sounds like they want to get their stadium to the point where everyone wants to come out. Who are their next door neighbors? The Suns. They renovated their stadium. Obviously, the team is really good, but it's really fun to go down to Footprint Center once you're in there. Not that it's not at a D-backs game, but it is one of the oldest ballparks in the MLB, definitely one of the oldest ballparks in the National League. So if you can get the fan experience to, to be higher, you get that revenue. And then you know the, the TV revenue with, with Valley and all that, that's a whole other issue, and they're not really quite sure what's going to happen just yet. It's still kind of playing itself out. But if they can get new stadiums and, and or renovate the stadium, better fan experience, that then trickles into having more revenue, which he says he can then invest more into the team. I mean, he, he said that he hasn't taken a paycheck or hasn't been giving himself that bonus paycheck, I should say. Um, maybe like, I don't know if other owners do, but he, his point is that all the money that's coming from the team is going back into the team in some fashion. Hey, last one for uh, Jake Anderson from Arizona Sports, and then we'll let you go, Jake. I wanted to ask you about the importance of switching to hoops. ASU got a necessary win against a pretty solid Utah team on Saturday. How do you think that positions them going forward? They've still got some important games down the stretch and what could be a very crucial conference tournament upcoming. Yeah, I think the conference tournament is basically going to be the deciding factor if they make it or not. And I think it's going to be if they win the Pac-12 tournament. Um, unfortunately, you've had a, a rough, rough stretch here in Pac-12 play. You started out really well. Um, but it, it, when you lose to Colorado at home, when you get swept by the Washington schools, you're 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 just not helping your case when you were already uh, a bubble team and not that they can't win, you know, a couple more games here, but you just look at the fact that they got to go at U of A, they got to go at UCLA, which are two top ten teams in the country, right? And then you know, at USC, again, they could pull one of those out, but that's not going to be enough to get you in. Um, so it's, and then unfortunately, you're going to have to probably beat U of A and UCLA, maybe both of them back to back days if you want to win the tournament. Um, I, I hate to be a, a gloomy person looking at this thing, but it's just the reality that the 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 offense is not potent enough to to complement how good their defense is. And when their offense goes cold, you'll you just end up losing. You just can't score enough, um, and the defense can only do so much. 
Jake Anderson with Arizona Sports on the State of the Sun Devils podcast. Jake, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks so much. No problem. You can check out Jake, all of his work that he does for Arizona Sports and ArizonaSports.com, and check out the State of the Sun Devils podcast. They put out about one a week in terms of podcasts. They talk all things ASU sports, so nothing gets missed in that regard. Coming up next, are the Clippers now the biggest threat to the Phoenix Suns? That's next here on the Burns and Gambo Show on Arizona Sports. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons 2 till 6 on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Ferreldis and Cody Fincher filling in for Burns and Gambo today. Happy President's Day to you. Burns and Gambo will be back tomorrow. Everybody will be back tomorrow. Newsmakers Week 2023 starts tomorrow as well on the Big Gleamer on a Morning Show. Very excited about the upcoming week. So the Suns and the rest of the NBA still on break. They just had the All-Star Game last night, which Cody and I have both already figured out. We're probably not going to talk about it too much because what's there to talk about? I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't watch any of it. (laughs) I, I didn't watch it. And I'm glad I didn't watch it. But at the same time, it doesn't mean I didn't bet on it. There's a result of problem. (laughs) Less things to talk about around the NBA because not a lot is happening right now. Teams are on break. So the only things that have happened in as far as significant news is concerned, uh, signings wise, Kevin Love got his contract buyout with the Cavs and he's going to sign with the Miami Heat. So that rules out him as an option or a potential option. They're going to retire his number zero. <laughs> wow. They already announced that. I'm like, what that's pretty cool. <laughs> Not retired. That's anyway. Cool. And then the other one that just came down this morning, uh, it had been in the works reportedly for about a week or so after he officially got traded to Utah. Russell Westbrook is getting bought out of Utah and is going to sign with the L.A. Clippers. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of how mm. I reacted, too. I'm kind of yeah. like, oh. Uh, Dang it. <laughs> uh, but then going back to the tease, are the Clippers the biggest threat to the Phoenix Suns? I kind of feel like right now, we haven't question. seen them play together, but right now I kind of feel like they could be. Well, I'll always go back to that, the, the year the Suns made it to the finals and how tough the Clippers played them. Yeah. I mean, they're, Ty, Ty Lue, yeah. the coach of the Clippers, outcoached Monty Williams in that series. There's, he did. And... and and there, there's a lot of the same core there. I mean, obviously, you still have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. We just saw the Clippers beat the Suns, where Kawhi Leonard started the game 0 for 9 from the field. Um, and they beat the Suns on their home court. Devin Booker didn't play that well either. No, was, that it, was a really weird game. It was very senioritis vibes. It was, was it like, not? yeah, we got a vacation coming up. I'm not trying to say these guys didn't try. They did, but like it, it was very. It had that feel. You're right. It's but we're like, also like we're not upset. They're like oh, right? the 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 trip to Malibu uh, is right the there. Uh, yeah, the man. trip to Maui is right there. Uh, and of course, no Suns were in any of the All Star festivities this year. Not even Damian Lee. Didn't not they? even Kevin Durant. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Devin Booker wasn't voted an All Star. No. Nope. Damian Lee. I was kind of surprised he Somehow wasn't part of the, three, of the three, point, three point. Yeah. Contest. But we had Julius Randle hucking up bricks. Uh, oh, yeah, in, yeah, anyway, yeah. I, I said I didn't watch it. Right. Um, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> but yeah, the Clippers. I'm always going to kind of be a little afraid of them. Because they just have that gritty mentality. They got rid of the pieces that weren't working. They got rid of John Wall. 
wasn't working. I was kind of surprised. And then replaced him with Russell Westbrook. Yeah. So that's supposed to be an improvement? And I'm sorry, what? Maybe a positive they got rid of Reggie Jackson because Reggie Jackson played really well against the Suns in that playoff series a couple years ago. Oh, just wait. He's on Denver now. So ah, he's not gonna, no. He's not Go away. Work. Go away. <laughs> Go away. I was hoping the Suns would get mm-hmm. Reggie Jackson so he doesn't have to play against the Suns. But, yeah. Lo the, and the, behold. The Clippers, they're always going to be a threat if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are healthy. They're really good basketball players. And now it's going to be who can step up and guard one of those guys with Mikel Bridges gone. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested to see how Russell Westbrook looks in with the Clippers because he was not, it, it was just a horrible fit with the Lakers. Um, he's a very ball dominant guard yeah. who needs the ball at all times. And of course, who do they have in LA with the Lakers? LeBron, who is also that way. He needs the ball. And they just tried to make Russell Westbrook a catch and shoot guy or whatever off the ball. He's that's on his game. So I'm I'm really interested to see what the Clippers do with Russell Westbrook and if it works. If he even starts, maybe he's the guy leading the charge off the bench still. Who knows? Probably. But I, I'm always going to be a little afraid of the Clippers. It sounds like, at least according to Brian Windhorst this morning, that L.A. has already made it clear how they want to utilize Russ. The big key here, and this is what Woj reported on when he broke this news a short time ago, is that Russell Westbrook had lengthy discussions with Ty Lue and with Lawrence Frank, the president of basketball operations, about what the role is going to be. Because I think part of the issue in L.A., a big part of the issue, was that he was brought into L.A. to be an equal member with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. It was seen as a big three. And then when that didn't get out, he kind of had to be pushed to the side. He is going to be coming in here with a different set of circumstances. Now, whether he will follow that and, and whatever that role they've got carved out, and he will be happy in that role, that's yet to be seen. Now, I have to imagine that they're going to start with him on the bench because they have a five-man set out there of, I believe it's Terrence Mann, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Avita Zubats, and then a rotation between Markeith Morris and Marcus Morris. Marcus. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Got the wrong Morris. The better but, Morris. But they, ha- they have a set or a relatively set lineup. Sure. They, just, they just don't have a ball handler. They don't have a distributor. Right, they kind of reshuffled their entire point guard situation. They didn't really have one to begin with, but you cannot dismiss this team with a healthy Paul George yeah. and a healthy Kawhi Leonard. And I think what's getting harped on too much is the way that they're handling the load management or the handling of yes. the minutes. Yes, because guess what? They're a top six te- top six team right now, and they're going to be playing Kawhi and Paul George every day in the playoffs. Let's not get that twisted. That's going to happen. That's what you're going to have to deal with if you're the Phoenix Suns. I didn't even realize it until I looked it up that the Clippers are fourth in the West. Yeah. And you wouldn't think that because obviously I didn't look too much into it, but my just perception of them is they don't play Kawhi Leonard every day. They don't play Paul George every game, and so they mm-hmm. have to be a little bit lower. They're fourth. They're they're above the Suns half a game. They're thirty three and twenty eight. The Suns are thirty two and twenty eight. They just beat the Suns the on their home court. Are deep. Yeah, and That's their another thing that that worries me is it's not even Kawhi and Paul George or Russell Westbrook. It's it's Zubac. Yeah, he plays well against DeAndre Ayton. He gave him some fits. He yeah. He's the dude is big. He's thick. And DeAndre Ayton, he's tall too, but he's not as big as Zubac is. DeAndre Ayton I think in that game only had about 6 rebounds. 
when uh, when they last played before the All Star break, six rebounds against Zubats, and Zubats had at least twelve. So he 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 gives him fits on the defensive end, and you know he gets a lot of loose balls and offensive rebounds against Aiton. That's going to be a matchup late. I'm sure we're going to see the Clippers. Probably in the playoffs we'll at some point. Again. I um, imagine. Yeah, and it, I'm just always going to be a little afraid of them. I think I just they just have Ty Lue is a good coach. They have two, you know, I, I guess they're superstars. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They're yeah, superstars. they're superstars. They're superstars. I mean, like I said, they just beat the Suns on their home court. Yeah, in a game where Kawhi Leonard started 0 for nine from the field. 0 for nine. And they still beat them. The Clippers still beat them. The Clippers kind of did what the Lakers did, and then what the Cavs did back in 2018, where they basically, you know, trimmed the fat and then brought in guys that would better complement the yep. important players. Yep. The Clippers did the exact same thing at this deadline. They kind of trimmed the fat and better complemented Kawhi, jo- Kawhi, Kawhi George, Kawhi George, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George, and they even got the perfect backup big behind Avisa Zubac to make some Plumley. Oh yeah, I they're forgot pretty, about Mason they're pretty Plumlee, well too. set. Yeah, they're. I mean, and Terrence Mann can score. He he lit the Suns up on in that last game before the All Star break. Um, but yeah, it's. I'm I'm always just going to go back to that series they played against them in the playoffs two years ago, and they played them tough. I know Pat Bev was on that team, and he was ruining everyone's lives, um, but. And thank goodness he's not there anymore. I can't take another freaking playoff series against <laughs> Patrick Beverly. I hope we don't see the Pelicans either because Jose Alvarado pisses me off too. Um, but yeah, the Clippers are going to be a threat. They're going. It's going to be. I feel like they're going to be fighting for seeding. Yeah, towards the end because they are so close right now. They're half a game apart. I mean, the West is so it's stacked. Man. It's tight. It's very tight. It's it's spaced at the top. And then it's very tight everywhere down. Like the East is pretty tight in the first three, maybe four, arguably, between the Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, and Cavs. But man, the West is. I, there's just so many teams that can make a run if they just go on a streak. The Suns are one of them. They just got to hope, man. Kevin Durant, uh, please save us. Please come soon. Please save us. Please play. Coming up next, quote, I think we can take him to another level and unleash his full skill set. Who said that? That's next on Arizona Sports.